we're starting a new series today, and it's called Life, Money, and Hope. And I like to do one of these series maybe maybe uh, once a year or so, uh, just ju- just to help us. Uh, if we're honest, you know, think about life, money, hope. Uh, life, life requires money. See, you came here for a profound statement, you know, and uh, and if you think about it, money impacts the quality of our lives, how we do with it, uh, how we manage it. And what I found is so many people that are going through life, if they don't do well with the money, they lose hope. And so uh, this is, this is going to kind of be a, a breakthrough series, a freedom series, because I, I, I believe hopefully it's going to be very practical, very helpful. I always want to do things on Sunday morning that you can use this afternoon, tomorrow, this week, and I, I believe this series will really uh, be able to, uh, you know, to, to help you. And I, I was thinking, you know, the, I, I, fall is one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, you know, the, the weather starts to cool down a little bit. A little, little bit, you know. And um, our kids go back to school and they're starting a new, a new kind of a new season in their life. Uh, football kicks into good, into, into full gear. I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about the Texans 0-2 start. Uh, people are asking if I'm praying. I'm, prayer, has no, prayer does nothing for sports. I've tried it for many, many years, and I, I've come to the conclusion that God uh, d- d- doesn't care. As a matter of fact, usually when the Texans start off bad, our attendance goes up 25%. Um, right now, it looks like they're so depressed they can't even roll into church. But anyway, but think about that. I mean, a lot of things happen fall. Fishing gets better. Anyone like to fish? I love to fish. Fishing starts to get, to get better. And it kind of represents a new season, a new start as we're going through life. But you know what I notice is that a lot of times, even though we want to start a new season, we keep repeating the past. I mean, we want to do things different, but many times in life, and this is all of us, sometimes in life, we're in such a rut. We're in such a deep rut going through life. We've been doing the same thing for so long over and over again that even though we want to make a change, we're kind of in this rut going through life, and, and, it, and it becomes very difficult uh, for us to do, do so. You know, statistics show that about 80% of Americans are in a rut financially. Uh, that, that is, about 80% of Americans who do surveys feel trapped and strapped and stressed and anxiety uh, you know, when it comes to, to, to their finances, and, and because they feel strapped and stressed and anxious, it, it leads to a feeling of hopelessness, like, I can never get out of this, you know. They, many people want to be more generous. They want to give and help more people, uh, but they're in a hole, and they don't know any other way to give out, and, you know, to get out of it. And so maybe that's you this morning. So I believe this series is going to help you to find freedom in your life when it comes when it comes to money. Here's what I always tell people. Uh, you know, sometimes people tell me, well, you know, pastor, I don't, I don't believe what you're saying, or I don't, you know, it doesn't make sense. But here's what I always say. If you've been doing something over and over, day after day, week after week, year after year, and if it hasn't been working, maybe we should consider trying something different. You know, maybe we should consider trying something different. I mean, it's, that's one of the one of the um, definitions of insanity is to try to do the same thing over and over and over again, and when it doesn't work, think that if you keep doing it, something will change. 
And uh, 1 Timothy 6, verse 9 through 10, it says this. It's a very interesting verse. It says, people who want to get rich. Now, let, let me stop right there because a lot of you are going to say, well, I, that excludes me. That excludes me. Do you know that if you make $40,000 a year, your household income, you're in the 1% one of the wealthiest people in the world? Okay, so now that we're all rich, let me reread this. But let me put a new spin on it. It says, people that want to get rich, I, I think the better interpretation of this is that people who have a wrong perspective of money. People, if you have a wrong perspective, a wrong uh, outlook on money, you're in danger of falling into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. And it goes on to say, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So people who have a wrong perspective of money, it can really it can really mess with them. It can cause major problems in their lives and get them into a trap where ruin and destruction is not far away. And so this is, this is what can happen. And, you know, listen, as your pastor, and, and me, listen, many, many of you are, are personal friends. I've known you for, for years and years. And the truth is, I don't want to see any of my friends. I don't want to see anyone in a trap, in a ruin. I don't want anyone to feel like, they're in such a hole with their finances that they can't get out. And so, uh, as I do this, I, I want you to understand, uh, I don't care if you ever give $1 to Family Life. That's not what I'm asking, asking for. The goal is, though, I want you to be free. I want you to be free. I want you to feel hope. I want you to feel like things can turn around. Things can get, get, get better. So, if we have a wrong perspective of money, it can lead us to make decisions that aren't wise. We fall into a trap and destruction and ruin. And if we have a wrong perspective of money, it can even cause us to put money before God. It says that many, how many of you know somebody that put that, that money as their number one love in life? Thank you, on the front row, we all do. We all do. So all you didn't raise your hand, shame on you for not helping the pastor, okay? We all do. Um, and so we have, to, we have to find a way to, to, you know, to get out of this. Luke 12, 34, it says this, very simple. Jesus is teaching. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever our, wherever our treasure is, our hearts follow. So, uh, you know, Trace and I have three kids. You, you know that if you've been here. And, and a lot of our treasure goes into them. So we're fully invested. Right now it's college. We, one time we had three kids in college at one time, and one graduated, and so now we have two in college. But, you know, Trace and I, it was very important for us. One of, we just made this decision. I mean, they got scholarships. They were working hard. And we, we decided what we didn't want to see them end up out of college with a bunch of debt. So, so we're paying for their college. We're paying for their college. As a matter of fact, Tracy went back to work and started working full time so that we could pay for their college. So because a significant portion of our treasure goes into them, into helping them, and, you know, they're doing their part, or I wouldn't waste my money. Because of that, we're fully invested. So we ask them questions. How is your class going? What are your grades like? When do you think you should graduate? I mean, these are the things we ask them. If, we, if I didn't put any money to that, I probably wouldn't ask them those kind of questions. But I'm, I, I'm invested. 
I had a friend, when I was in high school, I had a friend, and um, he bought, he came to school one day and he had a brand new Camaro. This car was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. Now, I didn't see him anymore because all he did was work to pay for his car. He worked all the time to pay for that car. But he loved that car. He hand-washed it three times a week. And if you ever went to his car, there was never a speck of dust in it. There was never trash in it. His car was immaculate. And he loved that car because he worked so much to pay for it. As a matter of fact, I went to my dad and said, Hey, Dad, you know, my friend Chris got, got a Camaro. Do you, do you think that the Lord wants me to have one too? My dad was a pastor, so you always had to throw the Lord in there, you know? He said, my dad's reply was, uh, well, I'm glad, I'm glad he has a, you know, a brand new car because he's going to need good transportation to get back and forth to work. He's going to be working a whole lot. And that's all he said, so I, I guess the Lord didn't want me to have a Camaro. That's what I took for that. So, uh, so think about it. In this verse, Jesus is saying, if you want your heart to be in love with God, I want you to listen. This is, this is vital. If you want your heart to be in love with God, if you want to pursue God, if you want Him in your life, if you want your love for God to increase, then some of your treasure has to go back to the kingdom. And, and so I know this, that a, a large number of Christians, they never put any treasure back into the kingdom. And I even tell people, it's so important for you to give back to God if you don't tr trust that family life's doing a good job, go find a church because you need to give. You need to do that. If family life's not the place, go find a place you trust. But if we put our, our treasure into stuff, in things, in activities, in houses, in cars, in coffee, and nothing back into God, you're not going to love God. You're going to love your stuff more than God. That, that's just the, 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 the simple way. Uh, that, that, that the law, the, the law of this works. And so, and now I, I want to let you know that, you know, Trace and I, we, we've made, uh, we, we've made some, our share of mistakes, especially when we were young. And um, our biggest problem when we first, we, we got married when we were 20. We were in college, we were making $800 a month. So as you can tell, our biggest problem is we didn't make anything. We didn't make anything. But I want to, I want to invite you, I want to have you, I'm trying to cause you to think this morning. A lot of people tell me, well, Terry, I would listen to your sermons on finances, and I'd read the Bible about finances, except I just don't make very much. Here, here, here's a very important concept. The less you make, the more important it is that you make good decisions. I mean, if you make $300,000 a year, uh, you should take me to lunch several times this week, right? <laughs> but if you make a lot of money, there's more margin for error. If you're really tight, it is more essential, more important than, than ever for you to make, have a right perspective and make good decisions because there's not a lot of room for error. A little bit of error puts you into destruction and ruin like we, we've talked about, you know, a, a, little, a little bit ago. Um, but the one principle that Trace and I got right is, is that we always tithe. So that was 80 bucks a month. We put 80 bucks a month. We, 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 we gave that back to the church. And we made some other mistakes, but we, ha we, had, that one, we had that one right. And um, here, here, here's a principle that, that uh, I think it's in your notes. If not, you can write it down. Sometimes the notes in your bulletin don't have as much of the notes up here because we just can't fit it in there. But uh, here's what I want you to promise. 
here's what I want, I want to make you a promise. If, if, if your finances aren't good right now, if you're not happy with where you're at, this is a promise you can take, take to the bank. If you will consistently make the right decisions, you will eventually become successful. But a lot of times, see, God's principles, they're like, they're like crock pot instead of microwave. You put them in the crock pot and you let it cook and it may have to cook for, for weeks, days, months. If you consistently do the right things, you will eventually be successful. Now, let's think about that. Think about this. If you consistently invest good things into your marriage, eventually you will have the marriage that you always wanted. I'm, I'm shocked by that. You know, we, we, we do marriage stuff all the time, marriage conferences, and, and people don't come and then they call me for marriage counseling. You have to put in the effort. If you consistently do that, if you consistently put good principles into your children, eventually you will see the fruit of that in their lives. Eventually. If we, so let's take, it works in every area of our lives. If we consistently make good decisions with our money, then eventually we will be successful. That, that's just, it's just a promise from God's word that it just makes sense. So consistency is the key to success, but consistency is difficult to achieve. It, it's just easy to get off track, right? I mean, think about it. How, if I told everyone in church, tomorrow, Monday morning, we're having a, a health day at Family Life. I want everyone to eat healthy. Well, you could eat salad and celery for a full day. You'd even feel good about it, man. But it's the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's when the weekend rolls around and your friends invite you over and they have a bunch of junk, right? So it's the consistency is, is difficult. Years ago, when Tracy and I, the first 10 years of our marriage, we just struggled with, with money, having enough. We were always on the verge of collapse if, because we had just barely enough to live on. So I, I, prayed, I prayed a prayer to God. I said, God... If you will bless my family financially, I promise you that we will be good stewards of it. That's a prayer, I said. Now, sometimes we pray something and we don't mean it. So I wanted God to know I I meant it. So I started taking financial classes. I started reading books. I started going to conferences. And I I learned about this thing called money. I, you know, I I learned the the numbers involved. And uh, then when... Later on, I started helping when we moved here, started this church. I started helping other families get out of debt. We, then we started doing FPU, Financial Peace University, which we do twice a year. We've taken hundreds of people through that class. If, if you struggle with finances, we'll have another one at the beginning of the year, and you need to do that. If you don't have the money for it, we will scholarship you. But you have to learn, get some knowledge into your life, you know, uh, you know to, to help you out. And, and so what, but what I learned is I really love numbers. I just, I just really, I really love numbers. And, and uh, so as, as, as it turned out, as I started studying all the, all the financial planners and stuff, advisors, what I realized is money is just a numbers game. It's just a numbers game. And so if you want to win the game of money, then you just have to have more money than you spend. Isn't that simple? You have to have some left over. And, and if, you go to, if you were to go to any financial uh, expert, there's five numbers that they would tell you that you need to know. So I'm going to look at these real quick, and then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna put a spin on this. The first thing is what you earn. You have to know what you earn. 
You won't believe how many times I've met with families, they didn't know how much money they made. I'm like, well, that's a problem, because how do you know how much you can spend if you don't know how much you make? They're like, well, that's why we're here. Okay. Uh, well, so what's your income? How much money do you make? You know, if you don't make any money, you have nothing to manage. Uh, and they will try to, uh, an expert will try to help you to maximize your earning, your earning power. The second number is spending. That's what, that's what goes out, the money that goes out. And it amazes me that 90% of Americans don't use a budget. They're just spending money, but they're not making sure that what they earn, that more is coming in than, than, is, than is going out. Uh, then the third thing is savings. This is a biblical concept, Proverbs 21.20, it says this, The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. The Bible says we're foolish if we spend everything that comes in. We're supposed to save, you know, like your grandparents said, for a rainy day. Now, the average, the average American spends 136% of their income. I know, that's bad, right? You're trying to figure that one out. Well, that's 36% more than came. Yeah, that's the problem. That's why we have credit, massive amounts of credit card debt. And, um, and then the, the, the fourth number, the fifth number, is investing. And this is, this is where it gets a little bit of fun, if you ever get here, that your money actually starts working for you, start investing some money, it starts getting compound interest, and it, it just begins to, to make money for you. And um, we'll talk a little bit about that for, for a minute. But think about this with investing. People always tell me they don't have any money to invest. The average car note is $484 a month. That's the average car note, on average. If you decided to drive a used car that was paid for, and you put four, that, that car payment in, you know, in with the financial investor and got 8% interest from 25 to 65, so 40 years, if that's all you did, you'd have $1.624 million. $1.6 million. That, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty decent retirement, huh? But you have to actually put it in there. You can't dream about it. And then, of course, giving. And here's what I want to say with giving. Um, a lot of financial advisors will tell you, they, they will discourage you to give anything. Because giving's only for wealthy people, they say. And they will discourage you from giving. They want you to put everything into saving and investing. Uh, of course, I think if, as Christians, if we think about it, we know at some point in our life, there needs to, there needs to be a time when we start giving to people in need, giving to charitable, charitable organizations, and so far, so, 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 so on. Uh, now, just so you know, the average American gives 3% of their income, and the average Christian gives 3.8%. Now, have in mind that these numbers are skewed by people like Bill Gates, who is in the, currently giving away half of his net worth. He's, he, he's in the process of giving away half, billions of dollars. So he's giving billions away, in some, you know, and even, even with that, People like that, we is still at, at 3%. So these numbers are very important. We could spend hours talking about them. But I believe this. I believe that, see, we don't, as Christians, we don't live just in the natural realm. We live in the supernatural realm. And God has laws, God has principles uh, that supersede just the numbers game. So I know a lot of people that, that aren't Christians. Their whole concept on money is foreign. It's not, it, it, it's secular. It's not Christian. Um, and if you do those numbers, you, it, will, it will work for you. But as Christians, I believe there's another level 
uh, that we can look at. So let me read a couple scriptures, and we're going to do a short lesson on that. Haggai 1, verse 5 through 7, it says this. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink and never have your fill. You put on clothes that are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. I met a man one time, I read that scripture. He's like, that's my life verse right there. I make all kind of money, but it's gone, you know, it's gone. And then it goes back and says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. So this is what I'm trying to, to get us to think about. You know, is, is our thought on money, on finances, is it biblical? Does it line up with God's word? Or are we out there? Do we have a secular view of money? Are we doing things however we want to? Because I, I believe when we follow God's laws, it really works. And his ways are higher than ours. 1 Corinthians 1.20, it says this, Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So what God is saying is that my ways are better. They work regardless of what the world says. And so what I want to do, I was thinking this week, and, and, and I've, never, I've, I've never done this lesson before, and I was really just thinking outside the box, and, and we talked about the numbers, that, the numbers that you have to know, what you earn, what, what you spend, what you save, what you, what you invest, what you give. Those are the numbers, okay? But what if we went beyond the numbers? And I started thinking, are there some principles we can embrace beyond the numbers that would improve our lives? Are there spiritual principles that can help us get over the top? And, you know, the world, so that, that's what I want to take you on this morning. So the first thing was earning. We talked about earning was the number one number one you know. And in, in society, the world today says this, that earning money is the most important thing. They tell you that. When you go to college, look at the occupations, the careers, and see how much money you can make. And the thought is this, you go after the money, you follow the money, you try to make the most money you can, and even if you're miserable, even if your family's not doing well, at least you have money. I know a lot of rich people who are miserable. They are miserable. So here is God's law that is above how much you earn, and it's this, your calling versus compensation. Your calling be beyond or versus your compensation. So what God says is this, at the end of the day, how much money you, what you make will not fulfill you. I want to say that again. How much money you make will not make you happy. It will not bring fulfillment. It will not make your marriage work out. It will not make your kids turn out good. We have this concept that money can solve all of our problems. And so we're miserable in the jobs we're doing because we're doing jobs for money instead of what God has called us to do. When you follow, when you align your life with what God created you to do, even if you make less money, you feel a sense of fulfillment. You can buy less things. You can live in a smaller house. You can drive cheaper cars and work in what God wants you to do and, and be fu fulfilled. So the higher principle is this. Don't chase money. Chase the call that God has placed on your life. And the Bible clearly says, 
all of us have a calling. It doesn't matter if you work as a pastor or as a, or as a mechanic or as a construction worker. God has put gifts and abilities in your life that when you use them, you feel fulfilled. You feel like you're contributing and, and helping people. So the secret to your life is discovering why God put you here, not how much money you can make. Now today, after service, we have our growth track, which is kind of like our membership class. But one of the things in our growth track is we, we do some things that help you discover what you really love to do. And, and so if you did not, last week was the first week, and you can jump in there anytime you want. It's better to start with the first week. If you want to do that, you can do that right after service today. But here, here's, here's the principle here. So it's our calling versus compensation. And then the principle is this. We don't just need money to live on. We need something to live for. If you only work for money, you know, that, that's, a, that's, a, you know that's a rough life. Now, if you are in the calling God called you to do, and you make a significant amount of money, hey, send some my way, you know? Send some my way. But that's the most important. I, I met a man one time, and he told me, you know, he, he, w he was doing what God called him to do, and he made, he made a tremendous amount of money. Here's another thing I want to tell you. Even if we do something, if we do something that God called us to do, I believe this, that we'll become so good at it that money won't eventually be the issue. That, that, that's, that's what I believe. Uh, but I met a guy, and he said, Pastor, I used to always feel terrible when missionaries would come in. They're, they're sacrificing their life. They're living in rough conditions. And I always felt bad that God didn't call me to be a missionary, that he called me to be a businessman, an entrepreneur, and then I make so much money. And uh, I said, well, do you still feel that way? It's like, no. So many years ago, I was praying about that, and God told me, I didn't call you to be a missionary. But here's a thought. You can fund missionaries with the incredible amount of money you're making. So not only did he tithe, he gave an incredible amount of money to missionaries all over the world to help them fulfill what God had called them to do. In Acts 20, 24, the Apostle Paul says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So Paul's like, listen, um, God's given me a goal, he's given me a task, he's given me a mission to do, I have a calling, and my only, my only, the only principle that drives me is to fulfill this so when I get to heaven, God can say, well done, my good and faithful service. So, earning, God would say it's not how much you make, but it's are you in the calling. Calling versus compensation. The second principle was spending. Uh, it, you know, controlling your spending, getting a margin in life, is this, is contentment versus consumerism. Contentment versus consumerism. Boy, we live in a world consumed with things, don't we? We do. You can buy the latest device or the latest gadget. And, you know, a couple months later, you get something in the, mail, in the mail asking, or an email or a text, asking if you want to upgrade. Upgrade, I just figured out how to use this, you know? Uh, I'm not 17 or I'm not a college student. I just figured out how to use this. But we've lost the value of contentment 
And contentment is where peace is found. So I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you to complete this question. I will be happy when? I mean, I hear it all the time. I'll be happy when my wife gets her stuff together. I'm not even going to tell you what the wives say. I'm not even going to go there. I don't want to bust your faith, you know. But I'll be happy when I get a nicer car. I'll be happy when I get a bigger house. I'll be happy when I get a promotion at work. I'll be happy, you know, when we have kids. I will be happy when the kids leave house. I mean, I've heard it all. I have heard every single thing. But the truth is this. If we're not happy and content with where we are today, something else is not going to make you happy. How long do we have to do this? How long do we, do we have to see billionaires and, and, and famous people commit suicide because they inside they're a total loss? They're totally bankrupt because it's all about getting things and money and, and consumerism and that they don't have, they don't have uh, contentment. I was working with a family a few months ago and I was working with this family because their, their family was having trouble. Their kids were a mess. Their marriage was a mess. They seemed so unhappy, so I was working with them, you know. And here's the thing. They made an, he made an incredible amount of money. So he was a sole provider. He made a lot of money. And he made a lot of money, and their life was a mess. Their marriage was a mess. Their kids was a mess. And so one day... Even though he made good money, he got a job making more money. And so the next time I saw them, I saw them like four days later. The next time, right after he got this new job, they both had new cars and their house was for sale. Now, I mean, they already, like, they were buying like $60,000, $70,000 cars. You know, the forty dollars and $50,000 cars just weren't, weren't cutting it. So let me ask you a question. Were they happy? Oh, I want to tell you something. At the immediate moment, they were smiling from ear to ear because they just rolled off the lot with $60,000 cars and getting a new house. But we know this, and I told them, that's not going to last two weeks. All of your eggs are in the wrong basket. You know, if you can't be content with what you have, something else, an item, it's impossible for that to fill the void. Isn't it funny how we're always thinking that success or that next thing or that next promotion or if I'm successful at work, that can make me happy. That next thing cannot make you happy. Look what Jesus says in Luke 12, 15. He says, don't always be wishing for what you don't have. For real life and real living are not related to how rich you are or how many things that you have. You know, studies have shown, I'm, I'm amazed by this, studies have shown that the most content people are the ones who make the least. It's an amazing, I've been looking at this research for four years now, and I keep thinking it's going to change. But the happiest people, when they do the, the, the polls, are the people, you know, who have less. And, and, I mean, think about it. If you don't have anything, you don't have to insure anything, you don't have to lock anything up, There's no one's going to take anything, there's nothing to take. Just come right on in. If you find something you like, just go ahead and take it, you know? I, I've had the privilege of going on many mission trips. I went to one orphanage in, 
uh, in Guatemala, and uh, there was all these orphans. They were so happy they didn't hardly have anything. I, I watched these two kids. There was only one pair of roller skates. And so one boy put his, the right foot on, and the other boy put the left foot on, and they held their legs together, and they were rollerblading down the road. Our kids have everything. They have everything. As a matter of fact, I encourage you, they just go home and just sell it all. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. The kids will hate me. The kids will hate me. Don't do that. But I want to encourage you. See, here's, can I, here's the problem. I hear people complaining all the time about what they have and what they want and about our country, but they've never gone out of the country. They've never gone anywhere. If you've never left the country, you're not qualified to complain about it. I mean, I, I've been to countries where it's just, it's just terrible. Like, if you, don't, if you don't provide for yourself, you're going to die. The government's not going to help you. I mean, just people live in huts with dirt. I mean, and here's what I want to encourage you. I want, as a matter of fact, I want to challenge all the parents of teenagers here today. Every, every other year, we take our students on a mission trip. I, over the last 17, 20 years, I've taken hundreds of kids on mission trips. And they're going to go up in the mountains of Chiapas, and they're going to build a church or help some people. And you know what? Maybe your kids don't need another Game Boy. Maybe they don't need another Xbox. Maybe, they, maybe what they need is to go have a real-life experience where they can help somebody and see the poverty of the world. I encourage you. Here's what happens. It's hard for our ki- to get our kids to go on a mission trip. And you know why? Because parents, all they have swimming lessons, they have softball, they have this. Maybe they don't need that. Maybe a seven days in a different country would give them some appreciation to learn that, hey, I can be content with what I have because what I have is pretty good. Again, amen. What I have, what we have is, is pretty good. In Philippians 4, 11 and 12, it says this. Paul is saying, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. But look, he learned how. It didn't come natural. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. So the secret of contentment is to realize how blessed we really are. We are blessed. I mean, we are blessed. We have things that the majority of the world... Do you realize that billions of people today are hungry? Billions. Do you realize that billions of people today around the world don't have running water? I mean, it, it, it's phenomenal. So the secret of contentment is realize if, if God never gives me more, what I have today is enough. It is enough to, to, to be happy. And so the principle that is this, contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want, but the realization of what you already, you already have. A number of years ago, it was probably seven or eight years ago, the Lord was just doing a work on my heart, uh, and, and I was really thinking about this thing called contentment. I'm like, God, I, want, you know, I know that you have to teach me how to be content before you can really bless me. Otherwise, I'm going to spend it wrong. If you bless me and I'm not content, if I'm a consumer and I'm not content, I'm just going to spend what you give me. So I really, I really started just, I really just tr- try to start cutting back, just me personally. And so what I told my 
um, I told my family for a several-year period, I don't want any gifts for Christmas. And you know, it actually bothered my family. They really want to get me something. My mom especially. My mom wanted to get her little boy something, you know. And, uh, but what I did was Samaritan's Purse, uh, Samaritan's Purse has this deal to where you can purchase things for people around the world. You can pay 50 bucks and they'll, 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 put, uh, they'll stock a pond with fish. I mean, you can do all these things, and so I told my family, if you want to do something, buy it for, you know, buy it from this magazine right here, give it to these people in my name, that would be my gift. And so Tracy's like, yeah, but what would you really want if we got you something? So I said, I, I said, this is, you can ask my family, I said, I really want a donkey. Don't ask me why, but I've always wanted a donkey. And Tracy's like, that's ridiculous. We, the HOA, the HOA, we couldn't. I said, what they don't know won't hurt them. I can hide it. She said, you can't hide a donkey. We don't have enough space. So then I got my dad. My dad has property. I said, Dad, can I keep my donkey at your place? He said, sure, sure. So anyway, that, that's how the conversation ended. So I, I'm one of these guys that I don't really like a secret. I always, when my kids were younger, I always try to get them to tell me what I was getting. So I said, Ty, what did mom get me for Christmas? And he just looked at me and said, he, she, she got you your donkey. And I said, please don't kid with me. I'm, I'm very fragile. I've wanted this for so many years. And she said, no, no, really, mom got you a donkey. So on Christmas Day, I opened my present, and sure enough, she had bought a donkey for a family through Samaritan's Purse and sent it in my name. So basically what I'm saying, there's someone in the mountains of Brazil that is riding my donkey. It's riding my donkey. So by the numbers, the third step was saving. But here, we have to be very careful here uh, because sometimes people save money and they call it financial security. They act, the thought is, I'm going to save so much that no matter what life throws at me, I'll be okay. And so here, here's the spiritual principle. We need to be God-dependent, not independent. We need to be God-dependent, not independent. And so the thought here is, again, we, we, don't, we don't need to use the term financial security because our security needs to be in God who can provide what we need. And uh, Proverbs uh, 18.11, this is very interesting, it says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. We need God on our side. He's the one who can protect us from life. And I was reading about, you know, the Great Depression many years ago, and there was, uh, you know, they said you couldn't even walk down Wall Street because all these financial geniuses, all these people who had amassed millions and millions of dollars, which way back in the day, you know, was, was, was a, a tremendous amount of money. They said you had to walk down the middle of Wall Street because people were jumping out and you, if you didn't want someone to land on you. That's what happens if you want money to be your security. It, it's never, money is never enough to secure us from the issues uh, that come from life. So here's, here's the principle. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides for us. Number four, the fourth number, uh, if you just playing the numbers game, what was investing. 
uh, investing, saving for retirement one day or whatever. Um, so I think the, 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 the higher principle is stewardship versus ownership. Stewardship versus ownership. And, you know, stewardship, see, we don't use the word steward today. It's an old English term. It was in the King James Bible. And a steward, back in the feudal system, if you remember they had a realm, a geographical realm, and there was a lord of the realm who owned everything. He had the biggest house, the one with the drawbridge and the moat and all that kind of stuff. The second biggest house of the realm was the steward. And the steward didn't own anything, but he was responsible for managing all the assets of the owner, of the lord of the realm. And so this is where the term steward came from. And so stewardship just means managing the assets or property of another person. And, you know, the Bible tells us that uh, basically everything we have belongs to God, and we're given a charge of, of, of managing that wisely. So one of the, probably one of the most important principles you can learn about, about finances as a Christian is this, is that God owns everything, and I am his manager. And so if, if he owns everything, if he's blessed us, don't you think that we need to study how he wants us to use his money, his assets? So the thought here is, how can I leverage what, what I have to make the biggest difference for eternity? Uh, my, my, not just my money, but my time and my talents. Matthew 6, 21 says, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust, rust will destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store your treasures in heaven where, you, where they cannot be destroyed by moths or rust and where thieves cannot break in and steal. Where your treasure is, or where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. So here's the thought. You know how they always tell you you can't take any of your money with you? But let me give you a spiritual thought. You may not can take it with you when you die, but you can, you can invest it and send it on ahead to heaven with you. Think about this. We've been helping one of our missionaries in India, and since we've been helping him, they've led 35,000 people to the Lord. So what, I, what I'm saying is, now, we've given them a lot of money to help them do that, but since I'm saying one day, anyone who's given to that, one day when you get to heaven, there's going to be some people from India that are there, thousands of them, who we had a part. See, that's sending your money ahead to heaven, using some of what you have to build the kingdom of God, things that have eternal uh, purposes. And the last numbers game, uh, the last step in the numbers game is, of course, giving. And I said many financial planners uh, will tell you, you know, don't, don't do this unless you have a surplus, you have extra. Uh, but I think there's a higher principle. And the principle here is generosity versus misery. Generosity versus misery. And so the opposite of generosity is a miser, somebody who hoards things. And again, you can Google this. All, all of my stats, you can Google this. They have, so many studies have associated dementia with stinginess. And that as we get older, some people are so worried about people taking their stuff. They're so worried about 
people taking their stuff and oh, you know, whereas generous people are like, hey, if you need it, you know. I think in front of my yard I'm going to put a sign instead of an alarm system, I'm going to put a sign that says, please don't steal anything. If you need something, just tell me. I'll give it to you anyway. You know, what do you need? I'll just give it to you. But, uh, you know, it, when we become generous and, and, uh, and you, you know if you're generous or not, right? If your spouse tells you, hey, I think we should start, we should start tithing, you're like, well, I don't think so. Yeah, that's stinginess, right? I, I mean, we, we know, and think about this this week. Am I generous or am I a miser? Am I, you know, am I, am I, am I stingy? Acts 20, 35, it says this, Lord Jesus himself said, <clears throat> it is more blessed to give than, than, than to receive. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. So the value, here's the principle, the value of my life isn't determined by how much I achieve or accumulate, but by how much of my life I give away. You know that bumper sticker, whoever has the most toys when they die wins? You ever seen that? There was one one time, okay, I'll just put it that way. But that's not true. I think the, the person who gives the most to help others, I think that person wins. I think that person wins. I think when we're generous, it adds incredible value uh, to, to our lives. So just think about this with me in closing. Now, there's three more weeks. We're going to do all kinds of things to help you. So come, come back every week. Bring your family. Bring your friends that are struggling. And again, I'm not saying anything. I, I never want anything I say to make you feel bad. But here's the thought. If you are struggling with finances, perhaps there's a better way. Perhaps there's a better way. And we, we, we look at the numbers from God that, you know, first of all, that God wants us to use our calling versus just compensation, how much we make. Uh, that he wants us to find contentment with what we already have and not fall into the trap of, of consumerism. Um, he wants us to be dependent upon him and not think we can just amass money to protect ourselves. We talked about stewardship or managing what he's given us versus thinking that we're the owner and we can do whatever we want. And of course, generosity versus misery. Would you stand with me today? You know, so as, as we go into this new season, I, I just want to encourage you that no matter where you are in your life with money, if you're hopeless, that the, the first step is just to decide that a change needs to happen. And, and so, again, my, my thought, my prayer for you is that everyone would be blessed financially. Everyone would have abundance. And, you know, perhaps you have to uh, change something that you're doing, and we're going we're gonna to help you with that. But I want to ask you, you know, maybe today the Lord put, there's one of these principles we talked about today, maybe there's more, but there's at least one that God really just touched your heart and said, that, that's the starting point. That's what you need to, to work on. And what I want to do as we close in prayer, I just want you to just, just to raise your hand to God just to verify